the Hennessy Files podcast series. Proudly presented by Aloha Surf Manly. Welcome into the Hennessy Files. Today I'm stoked to have one of the most incredible surfers on the planet on the show. Port Macquarie's Matt Bantin. This guy lights it up whether he's in a heat or dropping mind-blowing clips on his socials. In fact, before the COVID-19 hit Australia, he led the QS ratings. I'm in port today and I'm frothing to sit down and talk with Matt. Welcome in, Matty. How you been? Thanks, Ads. Yeah, cruising. A little bit, little bit nervous after my first coffee, but frothing to get things underway, that's for sure. Look, everyone's speaking about what's going on in the world. Uh, it's a crisis right around the world when it comes to the coronavirus. How have you had to, you know, adjust and handle it from a personal point of view? Ah, uh, yeah, it's been it's been different, especially just having such a good start to start the year on the QS, being in such a good position. Then you can normally take a little bit of confidence out of it, just having a few consecutive heat wins and a few successful events. You can kind of keep rolling on and use that momentum, but as the New Zealand comp got called off and everything's kind of still up in the air of when it'll run again or when it, if it, if it will this year. So it's kind of like, I'm just sitting here, don't know what I'm getting ready for, but staying, staying as ready, ready as possible. That's for sure. If it doesn't go ahead this year, has there been in, in any indication? Cause a lot of people are talking about that going, <laughs> okay, Maddie's had a great start to the year. Like surely, um, if it doesn't go ahead, and it's not WSL's fault, it's basically got to do with borders opening and shutting and not being available, you'd expect or you'd hope from your point of view that those points might carry over. Yeah, that's what I've been thinking. Like that, That'd be the best best idea, I think. But even here in the way the NRL's kind of going back into things, the Roosters, they lost their first two games, I think, and they wanted the draw to be restarted, the whole competition to be restarted. But of course they did. Yeah, exactly, but it's... It's funny, you know, you think a lot of hard work goes into the pre-season, the off-season, then a lot of hard work goes into the three competitions we had or the this, the whole start of the year. And there's guys that are competed in, say, China, Morocco. There's about five or six meaningful events to start the year already. And I was lucky enough, I passed them up to save a bit of cash and to focus fully on the Australian leg. And they were my first three events and I clocked in three semi-keepers, so I was pretty stoked. You actually did that the year before too. So the Aussie leg has been fruitful in the last couple of years for you. I'll talk about the Aussie Open a, a little bit later because you've had such an epic run at that event. I'm looking at the stats from uh, that Manly event. I should have you <laughs> in our board riders club because <laughs> you actually blow up every time you're there. But yeah, m- massive start to the year. So it must have come as a, a major shock um, on that final day at Manly because not only was the actual word out that they were going to, they were looking at cancelling NZ from our point of view as commentators and stuff, everyone knew it, but did you actually know it before? Because you had to actually really focus in on what was going on because we had a massive final day. Yeah. And that at the start of the morning, we're in round of 16 or maybe the round before that. So it was like, if they, I heard a little word that they wanted to finish on the Saturday, which Every every year they finish on the Sunday waiting for the crowd and vice versa. So I was thinking four or five heats in one day, wrap it up. And it was all pretty rushed. And I was thinking, why are they trying all this? Like, what's the motivation behind this all? Then I looked on Instagram, the NBA season's getting suspended or semi-cancelled. So I was like, fire out if all these big franchises is happening to them. What a, 
what's going to happen to us being so international and everything so yeah a few weeks down the track it's kind of easy to easier to get your head around but it's it's a different one in my lifetime i haven't seen a, a sickness like this made up from the, the chinese you spread across and ruin a lot of people's lives that's for sure yeah it worked well for you as you're on a tear making the final and for the most part many people think that you had the win until leo got you with a buzzer beater right at the end of that final yeah even all day i had this kind of feeling i was like i just felt like it was my time again or it was all kind of falling into place and everything even with that shorter stoppage like the event getting cut short due to the sickness and the swell and everything i just felt like maybe this is all meant to be and it's going to work into my favor type of thing at the end of the day but end up getting i actually thought that all day until about 10 seconds to go in that final i was like fire out how good is this like everything's rolling just the way i want it to roll and everything's just falling into place and then this little wave pops up with five or ten seconds to go and then you hear half the beach erupt and all the italians erupt and everything you're just like no way and i, I end up walking into the beach i remember walking into the beach and looking at ethan ewing uh eton osborne and was Hiroto ohara and they're walking up to me i was thinking fire this is weird there they were coming to cheer me up the beach and i was like fire i was looking up at him going oh i was like I was nodding at him going, what do you reckon? Like, do you reckon he's got the score or what? And they were just looking at me going, nah, nah. They were putting, like, thumbs down. They were like, you got it, you got it. And I was, I went from, like, a 50-50 thinking I won the final to, like, a 90, 99% chance. And I was just going, yes. I was, like, getting ready, trying to, like, half do my hair up and everything. Like, <laughs> look all right and get cheered up the beach. And then next minute, I knew he needed 6.91. And I heard Leo's last wave had come in like 20 seconds after he surfed it too and they said last wave of Leo is a seven point as soon as I heard the seven point I was just like get fucked I was like so fucking angry but I haven't even watched the watched the final back to this day so I haven't even seen that last wave I don't know if or if it was deserving but that's the thing about our sport opinions are always split isn't it exactly and I I give it to Leo. You're like, hats off to Leo. He's such a good surfer and such a good competitor. And most likely he did get the score on that last wave, but I'm just too stubborn to watch it back and accept it. It's just like, not stubborn, but I just wish I won that final. The difference between money is about an extra 12 grand US and the, the points, it's an extra 2,000 points on top of the that one result. So it's pretty meaningful, the jump between second and first, but I'll take it for the, one of the first events of the year, that's for sure. And the first ever Challenger Series event too. So it was a great result, mate. So congratulations. Now, born and bred up here, beautiful part of the world. I've only been here a couple of times for a a couple of state titles. Talk about growing up and surfing (laughs) this part of the North Coast and what it has to offer. Yeah, we're pretty lucky with all the little waves around here. There's nothing that gets super solid and punchy. That's why I lack a bit of experience in your big open deeper water waves like say your margaret rivers or your bells beaches or where that swells coming out of a good 15 second period and holds on a good point or a good reef we lack a little bit of that but there's been a lot of fun beach breaks especially around one to four foot type of thing and that's where i've kind of excelled in my competitive years like it was my competitive kind of career has been in that range and just look to practice outside of that field and, and grow and grow in some some bigger and better conditions but uh, get back getting back to it we're super lucky to be living here you can feel every week there's more and more people moving to port macquarie and there's universities getting put in place and i think everybody's slowly finding out how good the good the little place is that's for sure 
when you grew up, who are those guys when you start to really take uh, in, you know, your surfing journey? Who are the guys that you looked up to? Yeah, there's a few really good surfers around here. First and foremost, probably Mick Campbell. Mick Campbell was just because he was on the CT and everything, you had that that professionalism to kind of look look to and look up to. And then there was Darren O'Rafferty. He shared a lot of the same experiences competing on the tour and everything. So you could gain a lot from them guys just knowing the experience that they've they've been through all the all the stuff they've been through traveling and everything and just watching them their routines around home i remember when cambo got back on the tour i think it was 2005 he was i remember he was just training super hard and he'd just go for these quick like 30 40 minute heats he still surfs at breakwell and he'd just get out there and just like light the place up and i was only about 10 or 11 you're just like far out he's like just seeing the fitness and how quick he was, like seeing that twitch. I think he was like mid thirties too, so he was, yeah, the, the the ginger power come back into play, that's for sure. When I first got involved in surfing, Cambo was doing a lot of movies with a good mate of mine, Matty Jai. And even though he was one of the most high profile surfers on the world stage at that time, he just didn't have any kind of ego or attitude about him. He was just one of the great people, a real Aussie larrikin. Yeah, and he's I love that kind of core approach he's not a big head doesn't come from a real ritzy a lot of money he's come from a real poor background at the back of clifton and stuff so it's like he's just a genuine good aussie bloke i remember going over to france for my first time i was with my mum. i was 14 i had to have a parental kind of bit of guidance there so mum took me and solly bailey over and solly bailey knew danny wills being from byron i knew cambo so They'd come pick us up from the house and go hang out, hang out with them during the lay days and stuff. And it was just sick. I remember they come down for the King of the Groms and they're helping us with our heats and stuff like that. And I was saying to Canberra and I was like, Far, I'm getting so puffed. Like I've got so much pressure. The heart's beating like a thousand beats a minute. I was like, when I'm free surfing, it doesn't do this. Like, why is it doing it? And they're just, they're just little bits of advice and pump you up and stuff. And that little 10% as a kid goes a long way. It's, it's unreal just to be hanging out with them big boys and then, at the end of the event, I remember we snuck down to Dick's Sandbar and that and had a couple of beers. And I remember one bouncer knocked me back. He was like, I walked up with Cambo. He's like, yeah, come in, come in. This big bouncer, he goes, what? He looked down at me. He goes, what are you doing? He's like, fuck off pretty much. It was <laughs> <a> classic. <laughs> I don't know if you realise this, Matty, but social media goes crazy when you drop footage. I have people coming up to me all the time saying, have you seen Banting's latest? People just love your free surfing and the clips you've been dropping. Yeah, oh, thanks a lot. It's funny, me and, me and Dad just film, like try and get a bit of training and coaching and test boards and stuff just in between events and especially if the waves get kind of half decent. But it's never like we're trying to make a mental video part or trying to do this or that. It kind of just comes to. And then it's funny, some videos like I had one or two got like a hundred and... 120,000 views and stuff like that and then the next one might get 12,000 and just like to me they're equal they're equally just as good or they mean just as much to me but different people like different things and it's just good I know I like watching people surf and see what they're doing and stuff like that when they're at home which boards they're riding what fins and stuff like that so it's good just to get a yeah a bit of an in-between thing like I'd love it if Felipe was dropping clips every day or or is that Gabe, who, you, who are your favourites to watch their free surfing? Yeah, probably them kind of guys. I love the fast, fast twitch, progressive kind of guys like yeah, Medina's and Toledo. Just I think growing up with them, watching them being so good and and just being so 
focused and just they put everything in their life into the their career and it's just it's all showed now like it's all paid off but just the talent too they come from such pure natural talent i remember even watching gabriel back on the beach when he was like 15 and he was just so athletically gifted he was juggling the soccer ball off every limb of his body then he was doing like these back flips and round off back flips on the beach you just like how athletic could you be like just not not a drop of style or not a drop of anything out of place it's just yeah, lucky gifted people that's for sure <laughs> talk about your style over the years a lot of people comment on how good you are in the air like your air game is just next level um, and it has been since you were very very young i saw you at a young age and you were you were pretty amazing i feel like in the last couple of years uh with some size you've really refined your power game so now you've got those two sides of the coin. Would that be correct? And how important has that been to your development? Yeah, I, th- I think just growing up as a kid, I focused so much on airs and stuff. I remember looking up to Clay Marza a lot through my 15, 16, 17s and just going with them finner after finner after finner. And I was just like, you can do it to the point where you end up perfecting that one move, but then you lose that a lot of time on perfecting your whole game of surfing. So once I did qualify, I realized I was lacking a lot in certain fields of my serving so try and put a bit more time into them and still got a long way to go though if i want to be up in that top five on the ct but it's it's a good challenge just try and get better and better every day and try work on the things that need a bit of help and just getting getting good feedback on on instagram and stuff just pleasing people who are enjoying watching you surf and then that's that's nice too just to get some good feedback and make people want to go surf and enjoy it it's, yeah it's a good feeling you were definitely a standout as a kid. You could see those guys who definitely had the game, even as kids, like guys like Owen, uh, Wilco, yourself, uh, Jordy used to come over. When did you sort of find that spark from a very early age? Did you feel like, okay, I'm, I'm sort of at the top of my tree when it came to age groups? Yeah, for sure. I always felt pretty confident in my own age group. I felt like I was making the finals a lot. Like I was always pretty consistent no matter what what event I was in. I was majority of the time in this in the finals. Like I think I made about thirty seven or forty something consecutive finals between that under <laughs> under sixteens under sixteens age group. And it wasn't like the QS these days where there's a hundred and eighty of the best surfers right there and then it's your it's your under twelves, under fourteens, under sixteens in Australia, so 10 years ago we did have a strong field like as creed mctaggart Noah you guys Dean, were strong cooper chapman it was a it was a great little error but it it always be a there's normally us for in the final and the wins would always majority of the time change so we'd always get a fair share of the, the winnings did you load up some uh, rivalries during your junior career yeah were the guys you loved to be i know from a for being involved in it for so long the funny ones are that the close the athlete is to to the other surfer, the more they want to beat them. Oh, for sure. Yeah, your friends. For, like, it's <laughs> funny. Like, I went over, Billabong set me up to stay with Creed McTaggart and we were surfing for a week or two before. I just loving every day, cracking up, just loving our loving life, filming, playing table tennis. And then Taja Small Fries was on. End up both making the final. Did well. The conditions and everything suited me in the final day. I ended up getting the win. We went back home and he's just like, the vibes were fully different. He wouldn't even really talk to me or look at me around the house. And I was just like, far out. So what have I done? Like I was asking dad, I was like, Creed all good? And he's like, yeah, I think he's just a bit, a bit bummed out. They didn't win. Rah, rah. And then 
Woke up the next day, he was still that pissed off. Like he's just surfing, going pretty. I could just see he was thinking, next comp, we're going to fucking smash you. So it's just that rivalry started in the under 12s for us. And it was good. Just no matter what you do, playing table tennis, skating, surfing, you want to win at every every aspect. So that's, it's good. Now, moving forward, you were saying that you made a lot of finals in Australia, but was that win at the King of the Groms the moment where you thought, you know, I've got something here because you had to take on Toledo basically to, to win the event and there was a lot of good service in the event. Talk about that event in France. Yeah, that was in 2010. I had the King of the Groms. That was about September when they run the Quickie Pro and at the start of that year, I won the the world titles, the under-16s world titles in New Zealand as well. So being up on that international field, seeing Medina up that age group, like watching him and seeing how good he was gave me a lot of motivation and going to the the quickie pro and having that king of the groms had philippe toledo and i think i got him in one heat and then i got him in the final and it was just it was such a confidence boost just to be over there and watching him and watching all his previous heats like he was dropping nines and tens the whole event and doing all these big crazy airs and stuff and then i had a really good final got like every good wave didn't fall off i did every air i wanted to land and everything just kind of fell into place and then got that and the next day Toledo's dad was hitting us up for boards and he was like fire your boards look so good I think it was on chilies at that time so he bought like two or three of our boards to get Felipe and the sons on and and it was funny like we're standing in the same place and it was just like them coming to us to try and get a little bit like another 10% of of what they can onto their their surfing it was just yeah, I know it's confidence building just to be rubbing shoulders with Toledo and, and guys like that knowing you can beat him at a, at a young age. It definitely makes you think you, you've definitely got a chance, that's for sure. So that was 2010, right? Your junior series career, when was the decision made? Because basically within three or four years, you were ready for the big guns and the elite ranks. When was the decision made? Was it 2012 when you won the Australian Open where you basically shocked the world really you won the juniors you just looked on point but not only did you look on point in the juniors from the outset everyone was saying i reckon matt could win the actual men's and people were like hey the guy's a kid surely he's not going to win the men's <laughs> well, look, and, like looking back now i feel like i've nearly exceeded my my talent level or my ability a little bit like a few of the wins i've had like i'm like far out of it wasn't as good as Toledo at that time, but I beat him and then wasn't as good as them men's at the time at the Australian Open. That was my first QS. I was just going there for a bit of practice, trying to get my, my feet into the whole QS scene. And then How was that? That must have been a, a, like out-of-body experience because looking at that photo on your wall, when I was thinking about your interview, I saw you winning the juniors, I saw you winning the Opens, but just a sea of people had you you'd never experienced anything like that yeah at the time they were trying to mirror the u.s open and they were getting roughly i think about fifty thousand people or something down to the beach because they had the bmx skate and this whole surf thing so it was massive and then australia tried to mirror it with the australian open for a few years and they were getting a bit of foot traffic down there you'd say there would have been kind of 10 or twenty thousand on the final day i'd know but I reckon on that final day there was 30,000 people. Yeah, Jesus. And well, that was the biggest crowd they'd had there since Midget Farrelly won the world title in 64. That's crazy, yeah. And you can see the headcount on the beach, like little ants and stuff. We, when people come around sometimes, we're like, trust spot me, I trust spot dad in the crowd. And it'd probably take you 10 minutes right now to trust spot dad's a bald head, but I can see it, that's for sure. <laughs> so but, up, 
when you win that, Maddie, what were you thinking? Like you said that that was basically your first QS. Were you thinking straight up? Look, am I going to go full time here, or am I going to stay as a junior? What am I going to do? What What was the headspace? Yeah, I was seventeen at the time, so I was just enjoying life, partying, and being a seventeen year old. And then um, I remember because I, I got a little wild card into the event because I didn't have a QS seed and it was a six thousand. I got put into the first round. It was a round of 128 or something like that. And I went down to the left, like up to the north, a little bit in front of that pipe where I've, uh, after that, I've gained many, lots and lots of waves that have helped me out. And, uh, You've worked that out, eh? That is the spot at North Stain, to be honest, because... A little rip goes yeah, on the right side all the because time. Because our sand sort of channels out left and right. Yeah. And it, and it creates a really good little section there. So I'd line up with that. That was like my first heat, got the wild card and everything, then first heat raced along this little right the nor'easter was blowing into it and did a big full rotation air and it was just the one move and i got like a 783 for it i was like fire out if i'm getting scores like this in the qs like i'm not in the juniors anymore like maybe i could start doing something with this especially if i can get a little bit better and i think the confidence like one wave of confidence one little split second of confidence can can kind of carry you for a whole year or another 10 years so it's just like the momentum of little confidence, little situations, like different situations and, and things. Just key that just, moments. That... They just fall into place. You're like, fired if that happened or it didn't happen, like where would things be now? And it's funny, you know, like I said, paddling into that, that first wave of my, my QS career and, and doing that big air, I was like, just gained so much out of it. I was like, fire out. And then having the juniors right next to it, I was doing a lot of junior heats and a lot of QS heats and just... The time out in the water and just knowing the banks and knowing the whole place is just like i think i surfed about 15 or 16 heats that week where if you're in the qs you would have only surfed about seven or eight so you start traveling the qs full time how did you cope with all the different scenarios that come with traveling on the qs the time zones the food the languages was that tough as a young bloke and who went with you in those early days yeah me and dad did a few trips together especially france king of the groms and stuff like that and new zealand and and all that and then i did a lot of trips with quicksilver i did a a bunch of photog stuff for them and a bunch of like media trips and all that but then when i started doing the qs i did a couple of trips by myself i remember going to brazil and rocking up there by myself and i was just like so out of place the place i was staying in i remember i had to wait like a few days before jake and all the boys got their paddo from quickie and i was just like it was the most dingiest little shithole with no one around, nothing around, all this food that I didn't like eating. I couldn't sleep at night because I was jet lagged. I didn't understand. I was just like, how is this? Like, I don't even want to do this if this is the case, like being a typical QS surfer. Like, and that like, I probably seem pretty ungrateful and pretty big-headed, but it's just when you put in your in them times and you just feel uncomfortable and like you don't want to be there, you just don't want to be there and it's like, that's a slog as a 17 year old kid you know your friends are back home they're having a good time and it's just a guaranteed good time and you're guaranteed feeling comfortable and in all the things that you love so but in, in saying that like you get thrown in the deep end into different situations like that and it makes you a way better person and coming back from it after it you think far out i'll be wouldn't be half the person i am today if i didn't do things like that so it's it's beneficial that's for sure Run us through the year you qualified. Um, how did you feel at the start of that year? 2014, I remember we signed a really good contract with Quicksilver. It was like a three-year deal. 
good money and they'll like give you three years to to qualify type thing like the the contract was a three-year goal to qualify and then in the first year of the 2014 year i won the newcastle surface and then i won carbo by mid-year and it was already looking like i was qualified by the mid-year and i was like oh this is pretty sick qualified in six months and i've been given like a three-year window type thing so that was pretty sick it was it was pretty unexpected how everything just fell into place like i think it falls into place a lot easier like that when you're not holding that pressure or i didn't even know the points i didn't even know the mathematical equations you needed to to qualify and all the numbers like now i'm a more of a, an experienced qs so if you know all them different little equations and different numbers you need at certain events to to get the job done but sometimes knowing less is better <laughs> how was it going into the elite tour you get on the dream tour and to the in 2016 you is it 15 or 16 15 was 15 year, and yeah. any elite athlete things can happen talk us through the back after that first year because you end up with an injury what was the injury yeah i started that year red hot i remember having uh freestone and mick fanning in my first heat at snapper and i was like how's that for a first heat of your ct career and i was that nervous like double as nervous as it was any other heat and end up going out there and getting the win so i was like far out how's this like on a whole another stage just getting a win straight off the bat against these two like it's incredible, incredible feeling in that. And then I drew Geordie Smith in round three and I was like, boom, got smoked out of the field. And I was like, whoa, just got absolutely obliterated. And it was just a good reality check. Then went down to Bells and drew Parker in the third round. And I was like, wow, this is, this is hard yards, that's for sure. <laughs> it is tough because as a, a guy coming in, you're always going to get those top guys. Big time. It felt like the... The big seeds, like them five years ago, were a lot bigger, like your Parkers, Fannings and everything. There was a big, bit more of a contrast between the whole draw of the the CT. Now it feels like 30 of the guys could win the event, where back then it felt like kind of six or eight of them could. The injury that put you out towards the back end of the year, that must have been very, very frustrating for you. Yeah, I've, I felt like I was progressing and really getting better and better at j-bay especially in the free surfs i felt like we were there a good week or 10 days before it and we're just filming 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 and i put up a couple of clips and for my instagram at the time they went off and i was like i was getting a lot of feedback and a lot of support and i was just feeling really confident like this could be the the event where i could perform in, in really class waves like really class a waves and i think i was just looking too far ahead and even in the free surfs, Griffin Colapinto was on a free surf trip that year because he wouldn't have been qualified, that's what I was just thinking. And he was, there was this nice air wind come up and it was pretty solid J-Bay, not solid, but it was like four to six foot and it's pretty chunky to be trying punts out there. And the wind started coming into it. Sorry, he landed like a massive oops. The next wave I tried one, landed a little one. I was like, oh, next section I get, like, I'm going to go so big and try a big proper one. And this perfect big bowl come to me. I had everything, everything was going right got the projection i was coming down looking to land this oop and then just as i landed my foot was on the back tail pad and just slipped off the back of the tail pad my front leg kept going and then i remember coming down with all the impact from being up so high and i like come down did the splits and head butted my shin and i was like oh. it all happened that quick it was just like a whiplash and i was like far out i felt like i'd nearly been hit by a car it happened so quick and i was like boom julian julian was just paddling around the shoulder and he comes up to me he's like far out you're all right like looked pretty rough and i was kind of jarred i didn't know really what happened and 
surfed another nine or ten waves just testing it testing it testing it because the, the comp started the next day and it was like been here for 10 days practicing you don't want to hurt yourself in the last potential free surf before the event and i did it but he did it i was getting mris that afternoon and working with the kairos and you know 24 hours later it's blown up like a balloon so it's just like yeah it was devastating i remember being in my bed crying them them next few days like the next few mornings i'd wake up and i was just crying i was just thinking fire out why being a little sook i was just like why me why this like should have would have could have done this and going through all the scenarios and that it was just like that's meant to be there's a lot more harder situations in life that you you'll end up going through and hurting you hurting your knee when you're 20 years old or whatever it's not a not a big thing i'm sure i won't remember it when i'm on my deathbed that's for sure <laughs> did you think that that meant that you was over what was the initial you know analysis by the doctors did they say you're gone yeah it was more of just a hyperextension bone bruising and then it it lit up like massive so the bone bruising is a thing where it's hard to gauge how long it's going to stick around for and causes a lot of inflammation and then your patella and your knee tracking in a different way in different order so to support itself because it's wigging out because it's so inflamed and so stressed out. So then my patella, my kneecap started tracking outside to the left and all these different stuff happened where you can hardly walk and stuff. So I was working with Chris Prosser for about three months and got that all underway. I actually wish through that time I was a little bit more serious with the rehab. I remember being about 20, 21, I was up on the Gold Coast. I remember I had that three-month time off just... Being so helter-skelter, qualifying the year before, being on the CT with such high expectations and everything happening, being on a big contract and just the pressure felt like it doubled that year. As soon as I got hurt, I was just like, oh, bit of time to relax. I might have a few beers and and party and do a bit of this because I got time to. And in hindsight, I wish I didn't. I wish I just stuck into the rehab and did everything and everything to kind of get back to 100%. But... In saying that, that's life, you know, you've got to enjoy the times you, you have. And like you spoke to Cambo a little while ago and he's like, I don't regret nothing. He's like, I don't regret absolutely fucking anything. And it's, you got the wild card, you got the injury wild card. Was that tough to go through that process as well? Because they picked that at the end of the year, right? Yeah, that's a, it's always a hard one too, because if there's a high profile dude that's that's been injured or even a lesser injury than you they're always going to give it to a high profile dude because they're going to bring more fans to the table bring more marketing strategies and whatnot so it's like being my first year on the ct with little little history or little credentials it's like there's no way i'll be getting one of the wild cards and then kind of fell into place where there was that little amount of people injured that i got the second spot so I was really stoked and I remember Chris Prosser and I were trying to fast track the injury to get back by about September, October and then I was back in about October, I just started surfing and felt so gingerly and stuff and then the back, the, the next year I was just back competing and felt like I lost a little bit, like I maybe lost a couple of percent of my timing and twitch fibers and that but you do through any injury and then you kind of regain it slowly but I felt like I lost a couple of percent through that injury, but I come back strong too and had a few good heats at the start of the, the CT in 2016. But then through the knee injury and having that knee not as strong as the other one by trying to come back 
sooner than I should have and everything like that, I started getting this pelvis injury. So it was like instability through the pelvis due to unequal kind of knees or unsymmetrical knees. Then it was doing this thing through my pelvis, which I had no idea about. And then got to Europe that 2016 year in about September, I was in Portugal and I went and seen Chris Prosser again. And I was like, what's happening? I feel like I've got a hernia or a stitch up here. Like, I can hardly surf. It's like, it's devastating. I was in like the first week of my six-week Europe trip and I was like, fire out, it's devastating. He's like, oh, by feel, I think you got a sports hernia, which is pretty common in, in high-impact sports and that rah-rah. And you guys just surf 20, 30 minutes a day and try surf your heats and see what we can do. So that's what I did and the pain just started getting worse and worse and worse. And then by the end of Europe, I was like, stuff this. I was like, i got to go. actually got to Hawaii and I was like, stuff this. i got to go to get an MRI like, I gotta see what's happening I couldn't do a thing like even walking around the house I was so gingerly so I was went and got the MRI and they said I had osteitis pubis and osteitis pubis is this really common injury in in soccer and AFL and rugby league but most commonly when you're planting one foot and twisting like a soccer ball say if you're right foot dominant it's that left foot that goes into the ground that stabilizes for that that swinging right leg to come through so it's just a uh consistent kind of pattern in your in your body of just overloading one one hip but super uncommon injury for surfing but definitely tick that box off of being one of the only surfers to have osteitis pubis but i think a few people might even have like minor cases where they don't know a little bit of wear and tear but mine was severe i even after that injury i had to sit out for seven to eight months to let the inflammation go down i was on like super heavy anti-inflammatories and had cortisone injections prps and had about three or four mris just to check up on the inflammation and everything so it was, it was pretty serious like in hindsight being outed for another nine months after the, the three months the year before that's a total of 12 months within a 24 month time win for a window so it's just like out of out of them them years like that's partially one of your like them five years is where you gain your most growth i think through between kind of 16 and 21 or 17 and 22 like there's a lot to gain in them years as you're maturing and and growing that's for sure which i would have lacked but in hindsight through them times i got to come back and spend time with the family and grow friendships and grow relationships where in the long time you know this whole surfing thing will be a surfing thing and you'll have your friends and family that'll be forever so it's like in the big scheme of things you gotta realize what's important too